0: Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and it's been a while. So, before I introduce the uh, other co hosts today, I, uh, I just want to say thank you guys so much. For uh, taking over the show and, and keeping things going and everything, and I just want everybody to know that uh, the surgery was a success and my lower ribs are gone and I can suck my own dick now. So, yeah, I'm in good shape. Yeah, appreciate all the uh, all the cards I got. They're like you know, feel better, hope your dick is good. And yeah, <laughs> I, I I appreciate all of that.
1: This podcast so just great. wasn't masturbatory enough for you.
0: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I had to take it to the next level. <laughs> what if you did that uh, yeah, and then, then uh, found out that you were just
2: like really bad at it, really
0: bad at sucking my own dick yeah. or just sucking dick in general?
2: Like, boy, this yeah, tastes yeah. terrible. Yeah, I mean, what it, a badge. Yeah, no. Yeah. no it was, if I'm going to be good at than, sucking one dick, it better be mine. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it's more the other way around. Where like, I mean, your your head, you're like you're you're like, oh, this is fun, but like, yeah, bottom half, you're just like, this is not satisfying at all. <laughs> No,
0: I'd be afraid, like, I I guess, I mean, you'd have to, like, lay down and, like, bring your waist up, but, like, I'd I'd probably try different positions. Like, I'd try to do it standing up without, like, doing a somersault, and I I think that's the key, you know, you got to keep things spicy. Uh, Anyways, hey, Jack Easton, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Mouth is currently unengaged, ready to go. That's
1: good, that's good.
0: Good to hear, buddy. Uh, Also got Myros with us today.
1: Oh, thank God, I'm not hosting.
0: Uh, do you got any? Do you got any self dick sucking techniques that you want to share?
1: Uh, I'm way too fat to be trying that shit, man. I don't, I don't snap my spine <laughs> in it.
0: <laughs> no finger in the butt. That's right. Uh, Sean, how you doing, pal? Good. How are you? I, I just I've been talking about sucking my own dick for the past two minutes. I'm great. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I missed a lot, but you know October is is Sean Horror Month where we try to introduce Sean to a couple of different horror directors. Although at this point, I think he's seen like tons of obscure shit just just on his own. But uh, we'll, we'll continue with the novelty. I just don't think I can shock him anymore. There's never going to be another porno holocaust like with Joe D'Amato. <laughs>
2: no. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, since the last episode, I've kind of gotten back on, since last week, back on the uh, Jean Roland train and um, watched like four of them this week, uh, which was really the first time since that first run a couple of years ago and uh it's it's uh it's wild how much i love them now but i remember watching like the nude vampire for the first time and just being like what is this like it's i write a rite of passage it's, it's the way we all start it's like the fuck is this bad? thing it's it's the same as like jez franco man yeah for <laughs> sure for sure um who we should do sometime but uh i think that uh this episode is kind of uh will will allow me to kind of take that back seat again and uh let you guys kind of drive it because I think um kind of slowed down on, on uh Stuart Gordon. Not entirely, but um I, I think my enthusiasm waned in the middle.
0: Yeah. Well, that's because most of his best stuff was probably in the eighties, and uh, we're we're kind of moving in the late period. So I think I think if you never get around to watching Stuart Gordon's contributions to Masters of Horror, I, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. All things considered,
1: I mean, you're the, he's his contributions are fine for that program. I will say better than most, but yes, Did you, did you do the hair one or is that <laughs> the <Carpenter>? bar is low?
0: <laughs> Wait, what about what about the Meatloaf movie? Who directed the Meatloaf? Meatloaf masters? was Argento. Where he's just like skinning people?
2: Oh, yeah, it was Argento. <laughs> That was a pretty Pelts. good time. Who did the hair one? Then, the hair uh, loss one?
0: Oh, God. I don't even know. There was Carpenter. cigarette burns. I think that was John that's Carpenter. Carpenter. Uh, Toby Hooper, Dance of the oh. Dead. That's a good one. It's not a good, it's one. Just, uh, a good one. just Robert England, just like cattle prodding people or something. Is that? I don't one know. of the
1: very worst things I've ever that seen. A- yeah.
2: uh, imprint. God. Tekashi.
1: Oh, that's Takashi that's, that's
0: actually where I draw the line. Oh, yeah. Takashi Mike's imprint. Um, shit. I I don't think we'd ever. We would never do Masters of Horror, would we? We're not. We're not taking. I feel it like there, I'm fonder
3: we? of that show than everyone else. I mean, most of them kind of suck. But I mean, honestly, like looking at quality TV now, like, are we really? Was Masters of
0: Horror really that bad compared to like Netflix no. eight part
1: series? It really isn't. No, it's terrible. really
0: not. Or if you compare it to new Twilight Zone or something like that, like that shit sucks ass too, and it's basically the same yeah,
1: thing. Yeah, I think it's just like the weight of that show when you like hear about it. You're like, Oh, look, all these great directors and then the crushing reality of the fact that they're all well past their prime and have no budget to work with and, and the product is, is not necessarily what you expect it to be. But all in all it it's actually kind of fun.
3: It is fun. Yeah. And I do think I think Gordon is actually probably equates himself better than several others out of it, but um uh, Stuart Gordon's 90s output is I'd still recommend it there's a fair amount of variation within that um, and I will say the big discovery for me this this week catching up has been although we're not going to talk about it extensively but Space Truckers which is probably the movie that like tanked his career it was a huge financial flop it was the biggest movie he'd made up until that point uh, it's actually great I fully recommend it it is the kinkiest PG-13 movie I've ever seen it's ridiculous <laughs> So check that one out, and it's just nineties primary colors. It reminded me a bit of like Theodore Rex, uh, if that movie were actually hmm. entertaining. Does it have the deep purple kind of...
1: song in it though? That's the real question.
3: I don't, yeah, I don't remember, don't recall if it's got that. It's got some it's got some really bad generic country at the like open and close, and that's that's about it. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm glad we got to circle back around (laughs) to Theodore Rex, too, because any whoopee news is good news.
3: Always, always, you know, you don't have a whoopee
0: soundbite for us there, Steve, do you? No, uh, no, I never have whoopee soundbites. I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about (laughs) at all. Because I know you people. You people come up here under the bushes and shit, and then you want people like me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: Well, as a a a former Quailoon user. Ever, ever, ever. (laughs)
0: I like how I did this I did the sound check with the with the soundboard with the with the Homer drop and I was just like, Oh, you guys hear that? Good, it's still working, that's great. Well, I won't need to use that. Ha <laughs> ha shows you motherfuckers. We <laughs> always get a little whoopee in there. Alright. Well, you boys want to get into it?
1: Uh yeah, might as well, right? I'll might take as that I'll... as a
0: yes. Alright, well, uh let's uh, let's uh, start with a little castle freak.
1: Stuart Gordon, the
2: director of Fortress, the pit and the pendulum. And reanimator takes you into the dungeons of Castle Dorisino. Stuart Gordon's Castle Free. There's somebody else here! There's somebody in the castle!
1: (laughs) I
0: love that scream.
1: I like these credits they lead with the director of Fortress and the Pit and the Pendulum. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) it big hits,
0: and then they're like oh and also the, Animator, the one movie I that mean, you
3: have seen t- t- to be fair castle Free is shot literally in the same castle as pit in the pendulum so it makes sense yeah. would mention that which is owned by like charles band which is why they have mm-hmm. access to a castle why
1: does charles so band own a castle there's no justice in this world
3: <laughs> no there is not
0: uh, i mean he made a lot of money off of uh you know Puppet Master, Puppet Master 2, Love Puppet Master Stone 3. Oh, uh, his kids' movies. Uh, Dinosauria.
1: You know, something tells me he entered the business with a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Well, he probably did enter the and then he made Munchie and everybody loved Munchie, so why not, you know? That's 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 what you do. You buy a fucking castle. But it was funny because I, I hadn't seen Castle Freak in a oh god, long time. Probably well over a decade. Um, probably not since I was, like, 21 or so. And, uh, yeah, it... <laughs> I, I just saw Charles Band's castle again for the, the first time in a long time, and it, it brought back all, all kinds of fond memories, because how many fucking movies is that castle been in? And the answer is, at least a dozen. <laughs> um, and probably at least half of the Puppet Master movies, yeah. so...
3: I think a great thing about Castle Freaks apparently had a Full Moon Entertainment or whatever had mocked up the poster first so that the iconic poster like the blind girl with like the monster behind it that existed prior to its script and Stuart yep. Gordon was visiting and just saw that poster and he's like oh that looks interesting and the band crew were kind of like look you can make that movie but it has to have a castle in it and it has to have a freak and <laughs> 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 and that was the rubber. And I think Stuart Gordon, like, who was who coming off of, um, you know, he's coming off of Fortress, which had made money. I, I can't remember, I think he, he made this in the pre-production phase for Space Truckers. So he was, he was pretty mm-hmm. financially, you know, in in good grace at this point. Space Truckers would kind of be the breaking point. um, But Fortress, I think, did pretty good business. So he, this is actually kind of like him getting back to his roots on a really low budget movie. I think like the budget for this is like half a million or something, like real low. Yep. Um. But it's <laughs> like he had complete control over it, which is why he did it. He he pretty much, as long as it had the castle and the freak, Stuart Gordon could do whatever he wants, and that's what this movie is.
2: I mean, uh, when you compare it to like some of the jo- from uh, when you compare it to uh, some of the. Uh... Jalo films, like we talked about in the previous series, um, including the two words in the title, is a pretty good feat. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need.
0: I don't know. I like Jalo's uh, got it better though, because you know, your you bird, whatever crystal you want. plumage, no bird, no bird, no crystal plumage, no nothing. Uh, yeah, your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. What the fuck does that even mean? Uh, I don't know. The castle
3: and only. You can let it go. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's I, I don't.
0: Know. <laughs> tricky to work on. Uh, what? A, how about? I like a death laden egg. That's a good one. <laughs> underrated. Uh, not not an underrated movie. Just a great best title.
3: Short night of the glass dolls. That's the, oh, yeah. That's yeah, the one, absolute yeah. <laughs> best one because there is none of those things in that film. No dolls. No glass. It. I think mostly occurs at daytime, Just a, a masterclass title.
0: <laughs> Or, uh, yeah, at least with, like, torso... Seven uh, blood-stained you know, orchids. Torsos. No
2: blood. No... Wait, actually, I think there are some orchids, but I'm not sure if they're Did
1: blood we sting. ever
0: find out uh, Mrs. Wood's strange vice? Has anyone figured that one out? Sex, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sex. Yeah, that's it. She likes to fuck. Not a big vice. All right, well, yeah, so Castle Freak, the, the other funny thing about this movie is it, it, it's so, like... It, it's really different from a lot of the other movies that Stuart Gordon's done. Like it's, it's basically like a chamber drama and it's about like trauma and loss and alcoholism. And it's, it's very soap opera-y and also extremely gory at the same time. So obviously the gore is a, is a Stuart Gordon thing, but I guess when he put the script together, they, they finished the first draft of the script in like March and they're like, okay, here's the first draft. And then the you know the band brothers over at full moon were like yeah this is fine just go ahead and shoot it so they they wrote the draft in march they didn't revise it at all and then they just started shooting it in june which is crazy like you don't you don't ever do that so it's it's odd to me that i don't know it's it it doesn't feel like a rushed movie it feels raw in a lot of ways but it doesn't seem like a you know kind of like hurry up oh my god we gotta fucking do this and also we didn't do any edits script you know it's it's pretty lean
3: yeah it's it's a, an unusual piece in that it's, it really rests much more heavily on what we might consider mature drama compared to gordon's earlier better known work and honestly i think it might this might be the weakness of the film for me because i think jeffrey Combs and barbara crampton do a really great job as kind of a sparring couple and um, jeffrey Combs plays a father who has an alcohol problem, who and w- which came from the fact that he took his eyes off the road while driving their two children and crashed and their youngest son died and the daughter was blinded. Um, and he can't forgive himself for that and his wife certainly can't forgive him for that. And so they've kind of fallen, you know, they're, they're falling into this kind of like chaotic argument. Their marriage is deteriorating, but they're still trying to care for their blind daughter. But also they inherit a castle which is a really weird thing to move into <laughs> what is otherwise ostensibly kind of a, a, a family drama. Um but I guess I, I guess for me the issue is while I think Combs and Crampton do really great work here, um, you know, in terms of dramatically building their characters, it's still a very kind of it feels very much like kind of a set piece kind of drama. I mean, it's a very ordinary scenario for film
2: for a dramatic film. Kind of has like like a Disney for adults type of thing going on between the score and the setting.
3: Yeah, it, it's very kind of like, you know, it's it's laid out almost too cleanly in terms of like, he did this and it led to this and now she can't forgive him, etc. And really kind of at the back of it all. And this, you know, kind of they're sparring for like an hour loss of the movie. And at the back of your mind, I mean, it's always like, okay, get to the freak. There's a freak here. <laughs> you know, like let him out. <laughs> he was there the whole this.
2: time, Jack.
3: Well, I know they they cut through every so often to him because I also love the idea that it's like just the just old woman who used who kept the freak just died one night, and in the whole litigation process and everything to like inherit a castle and move in. This freak was just left in the cell and oh, survived right. somehow. Oh, I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, the real freak was the father, though, right? Uh, well, I mean, maybe
3: could be. I, I, in the the real freak, Sean, is us for tuning into this this depraved film, that features munching <laughs> okay. on prostitutes. Uh,
0: I'm sorry, the freak is
2: Jeffrey Combs when he attacks that pussy when he's down <laughs> in the wine
0: cellar. So,
2: <laughs> I mean, I kind of I don't know. I guess I guess that was my my I I, I watched this um, a couple months ago, um, uh, detached from anything to do with the podcast and. Uh, Liked it quite a bit, but I guess that was my, my, uh, takeaway without really, I guess, combing through Jeffrey, combing through everything, um, was that it was sort of, I don't know, his id or whatever you want to call it, um, this freak, but it, I mean, it's, it's definitely the dad. I don't know. Is nobody else on that, uh, reading?
1: Oh, see, I had it as a, a metaphor for the, the dead son. It was, it was the dead son coming back to uh, haunt the family, essentially.
2: Well, yeah but the dad's letting that happen it's it seems like the dad is kind of indulging that in himself and letting that happen
3: yeah i mean i i think uh, again my my issue is i suppose is why you can draft up kind of you know a, a more uh what we would say a more a more streamlined reading of it or a more in depth reading of it it's kind of like it doesn't really support anything sure. particularly you know particularly in in innovative which is, it's kind of one of those films that I feel does a lot with what it has, but maybe it doesn't have like the grand tragic arc of, say, Reanimator or From Beyond, which I think work really well by being just mm-hmm. outlandish enough that they really hit home on kind of bigger human tendencies. You know, there's kind of an operatic. Grandiose quality to them. Castle Freak, uh, like Steve mentioned, it's kind of like a, it's it's kind of a chamber drama. It's a very small film, and it tries to kind of get into the minutia of behavior and alcoholism and circular abuse and so on. And it just feels, yeah, it, it's kind of awkward to then align that up with the kind of rapey freak in the in the basement and the threat to the to the daughter, which is, I mean, a classic Stuart Gordon kink. Um, and I do, I do think the thing that really like works through Stuart Gordon's whole kind of movie career is this kind of uh, kind of voyeuristic sexual kinkiness that that kind of uh, mm-hmm. takes hold. Like and we talked here, about
2: with uh, From Beyond. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Way. And uh, you know, it's here probably more heavily um, unmediated than maybe in any of his other films in terms of the the blind daughter and the the. Or the kind of the threat that she poses, it feels even meaner and more bare than like Barbara Crampton's treatment in Reanimator. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like what I don't think this is a bad film, but I just I just can never get into the first hour. Just feels a little bit kind of like a preamble to you know kind of a budget drama. It's it's just sort of a little. I don't know. It it just doesn't it doesn't quite work as well for me as as maybe some of his others. Even like the pit and the pendulum prior to this just has this like insane kind of <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, kind of energy to it because it feels like Lance Henriksen is acting in a different movie and it kind of works because of those things. This feels very like small and intensely knit and everything, but it's it's like what's it for? Like I don't think anyone's going to see themselves in. Barbara Crampton's distressed wife, or Jeffrey Combs' uh, you know kind of failing abusive father. Actually, <laughs> there isn't really. I see a, a lot of
0: myself in him. <laughs> well,
3: there. Okay, we found our audience. It's Steve, <laughs> which brings us back to who is the freak? And it's Steve. It always was.
2: It's me. My, see, my log line was was freak in the freak in the castle, shitty dad in the
1: streets. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't feel like the best like match for Gordon. I would say like this almost in a, in a way does sort of feel like an Italian film to kind of bring it back. Like just, I don't know, something about it. And it's certainly a common theme with every single film uh, shot in, in Charles Band's uh, castle is, is that it does not utilize the setting. This is uh, not a film that looks good and it looks like it should because it's got this sort of sumptuous setting and you want these visuals to kind of carry you away in the film and, and give it more of a, a dreamlike feel like you know we were talking about with martino a lot but this is not what Stuart gordon does it's it's very i have
3: a feeling i have a feeling that they were still living in the castle or the castle was being used and they only had access to like snippets of the castle here and there it, it feels like there's no concrete setting it, it's like they're always shooting the edge of a room in the castle, and I just wonder if the
0: rest of the room was full of, like, boxes or
1: some shit. Uh, that would not surprise me. They're
0: probably me. shooting like Puppet Master 9 or something <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, it, it's like
1: a movie that that looks like it ought to be shot in, like, anamorphic widescreen. Instead, it's a fucking 4-3 like, direct-to-video uh, hatchet job, and I don't know. It needed something. It needed something. I, I don't hate this film either, and but it seems like it's going for this sort of grand redemption and it's a morality play of sorts. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It looks like a dirty DTV horror movie. And and those, that chamber drama doesn't really work in it's at odds with the style of the film. It feels like to me, but I, I don't yeah. know. It's a, and also Richard band fuck, fuck Richard band, by the way, that a whole <laughs> climax with the ca- with Giorgio is <laughs> chasing him all around and Richard Band's fucking score is just murdering the movie. I'm like what is Surely there this? was a Bernard Herrmann theme he could have just <laughs>
2: casually inserted it again. No. Um,
0: every time every time a bandman does a, uh, a a score for a movie it like Richard Band he just sounds like he's taking a Danny Elfman score and just like throwing the stereo down the stairs so it just distorts <laughs> and breaks as he like this down.
1: climax, the score is fucking horrendous. I could barely describe how bad it is and how much it just deteriorates any atmosphere that's supposed to be built.
2: I was going to say that uh, it's interesting to think about this. Uh, it would be a fun pair with uh, uh, Your Vice is a Locked Room. These uh, drastically different um, Maiden Italy chamber marriage stories.
1: If only Castle Freak look, had like the cinematography <laughs> of Your Vice to Lock Room, man, I, I'd be happy.
2: They're both shallow, yeah, right, my, uh, Myros? Ah,
1: yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> We're dealing with a master of stabbed the genre. In it, It's Jalo.
2: <laughs>
0: Jalo. Oh man, I, I just want to. Every time we have a guest on, I just want to have Myros just argue with them about what a Jalo film is and what it isn't.
3: <laughs> I the try my best. Think is, is unusual about this as well is to my understanding i'm not familiar it gets a hp lovecraft credit again because it's very loosely oh Uh, how one of his stories is the outsider and that story i've not read it but i believe is a first person account of someone being kept prisoner so it's basically uh the freak of that film but but it's the the film is or the, the short story is from their perspective which makes it very odd because really, we don't, there's no inner monologue to the freak in this film. He's, at best, yeah. we, we might alloy him as being, yeah, some kind of um, manifestation of, of the, the main couple's problem, but he's he's basically just a murderous freak who doesn't speak and uh, just kind of runs around the place whipping people with chains all day long. Um, so, mm-hmm. Oh, is that weird to you, Jack? Are you kink shaming? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. not at all. I mean, I think that's fine. Well, the cat. He abuses a cat, and that's you know, that's that's unacceptable. <laughs> a bridge too far. Hey, yeah, yeah, no, cats never—they're innocent. They're fine. I
0: I really enjoy the Lovecraft stuff that Seward Gordon does because I think he he gets Lovecraft better than most, if not all, other directors. But also he he gets the Lovecraft label slapped onto a lot of his shit erroneously. Like, come on, like even Reanimator. Let's be fucking serious here. Come on, that's not just barely.
3: That's not Lovecraft. <laughs> I'm trying to remember... Just barely. Enough! Yeah, and I'm trying to remember through this, if this... Because I have a feeling, even though this has a H.P. Lovecraft um, tie-in, I'm trying to remember, I think this one might be credited as Stuart Gordon's Castle Freak. which is Because ah. his earlier films, like From Beyond and uh, Reanimator, are H.P. Lovecrafts. Except I was just watching Dream from the Witch House, his Masters of Horror episode, one of the ones he did, and I think that also is H.P. Lovecrafts. Uh, Dreams from There's the, witch the whatever witch house or something. You know that a lot of times they, the HP Lovecraft goes in over the title, but I think on this one, and I may be mistaken. Uh, you're but-
1: correct. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a, a full moon flyer right now, and it is indeed credited as Stuart Gordon's <laughs> Castle Freak, and no mention of HP do. at all.
3: Yeah, so it's it's kind of like this is him as I said, this seems to be him in full control, and maybe he never had more control over a film than this, which maybe is. Kind of interesting that this is not his like our runaway favorite Stuart Gordon film, uh despite this being maybe his most unfiltered, if lower budgeted film.
0: Yeah. The thing is though, it's it's not bad. Like I don't think I've ever seen a no. bad Stuart Gordon good. movie. Yeah. It's like this is it's like, oh it's his it's his worst movie, and it's also like a, a solid like three, three and a half stars out of five. Like it's oh, yeah, fucking agree. good. If Matt Neglia was here and in the year was nineteen ninety five he'd call this <laughs> the next best picture. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's it's solid. I, I the only movie from him that I haven't seen is I guess his first movie that he made before he moved to LA which was some like baseball movie or some oh, shit let's not so get to back
1: on that out there. we discussed this last mm-hmm. episode oh before. you talked about it last <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I didn't even listen to the last episode
3: yeah no Steve if you want his worst film I would say it's Daughter of Darkness a, like made for TV thing that's it's on it's, okay. it's no good don't bother he got Mia Sara and that's about it and, and it's got um, what's his name Anthony Perkins and Ooh. neither of those things make the film watchable it's incredibly boring that's
1: his worst film. Yeah, That's yeah. I, uh, this That's film sad. is hard. You'd be hard-pressed to call it bad just because, again, no. Gordon is a is an actor's director, and the performances in this are, are top-notch. Like, Combs is at his best. as it Crampton's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, Jonathan Fuller as, as the freak himself. Uh, great performance. Great physical performance. It's, it's all around very good. Kind of wish they would have uh, maybe had a, a stronger casting for the daughter since she's kind of supposed to be the lead but really fades into the background something fierce yeah i think she's only got like
3: four acting credits she's not she never really trans and this i think might be her first but um yeah no i would agree when i want to talk about my problems with this film this is it's by no means am i saying that this film should be avoided um it's still in terms of horror cinema and where horror cinema often resides kind of the quality we're used to this is still the work of a very assured hand, kind of doing something much more interesting than many, many other films. Well, so, especially yeah, for
1: yeah,
3: 1995. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is dregs. I mean, It is. It is a problem, I think, for you. Know, and I think it's one of those problems that Stuart Gordon had, was that like the 90s was just a, a bad year or bad decade for horror, and not so much that there were, like there were no good horror movies, but just that I feel like there was a budgets contracted uh, like in Italy and other European countries um, film infrastructure was breaking down, was kind of falling apart. So the films, even when they're doing something interesting often have just kind of a cheap look to them. They, they just, they don't exist in the same realm. Like the eighties was like a golden period where they were just like shocking money at anyone. And, um, and there was great infrastructures in place. Like you go to Italy with fucking 50 quid in your pocket and they like had an experienced crew who knew exactly what they were doing and you could still kind of whip stuff together pretty well. And a lot of that had fallen apart at this point. So while these films are by no means poorly made, they clearly, you know, they exist in a very different realm to the eighties stuff. There's there's very little mystery to a nineties film, I feel like, when you mm-hmm. look at them, you know, the, the the visual language of them just looks kind of TV-ish. Mm-hmm. Um and that's and it's unfortunate and it works against pretty much every genre of film but horror particularly is really uh, underserved by having TV visuals.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of factors yeah. like the collapse of the of the franchise slashers, is another thing that really pulled money out of the genre in the in the early '90s, especially. And uh, yeah, a lot of factors came together to create uh, a period of time where uh, Castle Freak is is just a. Uh, Oasis in the desert, really?
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, I guess we'll. Uh, you guys ready to move on to the next movie?
1: Speaking sure. of things Good. that uh, look like shit.
0: <laughs> hey, where the hell is everybody? Hello. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I was gonna actually play the trailer, but I I can't. Like, I just love how dumb this guy's voice is. Where the hell is everybody? Hello. Hello. Just like. Total nasally this. Boston guy. This guy sucks ass. So
2: <laughs> <hate> um
0: <laughs> <laughs> What movie are we talking about again? Dagon, hey uh yeah, it's a two thousand one Stuart Gordon movie with the worst CGI you've ever seen and <laughs> the, the worst AC male Smith. lead you've ever <laughs> yeah. experienced. Yeah.
3: I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to bat for the male lead, who I agree is really annoying oh, and kinda shitty, but what? I feel like it it kinda fits the character. I do wonder if he was cast uh, entirely, because he kind of bears a passing resemblance to Jeffrey Combs. And he has none yeah. of Jeffrey Combs like little manic. Energy, you know, those kind of like little mannerisms and stuff that Combs does that really enlivens very kind of, uh, what you say, one dimensional characters or fairly one dimensional characters that Combs can just suddenly make entirely real and, and interesting and fascinating. This guy doesn't have that at all. He is a one dimensional character.
2: His name is Ezra Godden, and, um, he only has a few credits, two of which are Stuart, Stuart Gordon, uh, projects, but, uh, He's like the himbo version of Jeffrey Combs, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, his character here is like obsessed with stocks. <laughs>
3: yeah, <they're laughs> new, he's nouveau riche, I mean, you know, yeah. which again
2: means it's difficult to feel any sympathy for him. But yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, his girlfriend think... is like going to town on him, and he's like, I just don't know about these stocks.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know if I should buy or sell the precious metals. He throws
2: his <laughs> laptop off. He's the a, a boat. victim of
3: face. Yeah. He's uh, it, a Boston I, guy. I would just say that there, there is an element to this film where he fits in as just a dumbass. He caught in a system he can't even begin to comprehend. But it is a little bit funny that it turns out this system he can't even begin to comprehend places him as a central character rather than just someone yeah. to get like their head cut off and
0: thrown away, yeah. which would be more likely. It's like that, the, the central character that I want in a movie is not the guy going like, ah, baby, my stocks. Also, I had a dream where a mermaid was sucking my cock.
1: Yeah, this suffers from Jeffrey Combs like having a uh, run in Hollywood at the time it was made because he was probably out of the film's price bracket because, mm-hmm. yeah, this is off of like, in between, he's doing like House at Haunted Hill and a couple other things. It's like, uh, yeah. I
3: checked, I looked at this, and this movie in two thousand and one had almost the same budget in dollar value as From Beyond had in nineteen eighty five. I think From Beyond was four point five crazy. million, and this had four point eight million, according to quick Google. So I don't know how accurate that is. Um, but adjusted for inflation, From Beyond would have about one and a half to nearly two times the, the budget of this film. This is kinda of like, you know, adjusted for inflation sixteen years on, it's got the same dollar value, which means this is a really a low budget
0: movie, and it it shows,
3: unfortunately.
0: Well, it, now we're being kind of shitty to this movie right now, which
3: it's okay, great. It, it, deser- well, it deserves, it deserves a little talk.
0: It's fucking great. <laughs> Honestly, it's like it's simultaneously like it's his best and his worst movie. Like, it's frustrating. I mean, there's I moments that this... are
3: that are brilliant.
0: Yeah. It's
3: a frustrating movie. It's it's got some. It, I think it's really impressive. because it because I think in part because it looks really cheap when you go in. When when I first watched this the first time, I I had zero expectations, and it was kind of how how much he builds in this film is really impressive. But it is jarring. I mean, Adam, and I were discussing earlier, like the CG in this movie is genuinely. Oh scene destroying like it's not just like clumsy (laughs) it's genuinely damages the film
0: well and if you haven't seen this movie before to give you an idea of like the level of cgi that we're at if you've seen escape from la and when when they're doing those those like scenes especially in the beginning like the underwater stuff and uh, it looks like shit but also that movie is kind of campy and kitschy. So it works to a degree, even though it looks like shit. This is that same level, but they're going, Ooh, spooky, spooky, ominous, scary. But you're, you're seeing like some PS2 ass graphics. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely fucking weird. And it looks awful.
2: I will say that, uh, this there there's, I mean, I, I don't dislike this movie. I just, um, it's not my favorite of the batch that we watched. I mean, uh, it might be my least favorite of the batch that we watched, um, but I I like fell asleep. I watched it in a couple sittings because I I was watching it very early in the morning and um, like dozed off in the middle and ended up having a terrifying dream about uh, uh, like
1: some sort of beautiful woman with a tentacle mouth. Okay, oh. yes.
2: No, it was some sort of like uh, creature that like spawned more like ghosts and haunted me and stuff, which is just like very uh, odd for me. But it was obviously playing off the the, the sound of the movie that was like I blasting mean, this, this in my ear. I mean, this seems like
3: this seems like an amazing advert for Taken. Personally, like it's yeah, seeping into mean, your yeah. subconscious
2: yeah that's what i'm saying there is there's definitely something there and uh even if it's just like sound design or whatever but i mean um, this, this
3: is kind yeah. of like squishy uh, wicker man i think if you had to describe this it's a uh, squishy you know man that? yeah squishy man and it's just like it's kind of like wicker man and it's a guy realizing an entire town has designs for him and they're also fish this time
0: yeah <laughs> and it it it's a wet-ass movie. Like, the, the entire atmosphere of this movie is just uncomfortable. I mean, just given I was watching it. Film. Yeah, it's a very moist film. I was watching it on, like, a fucking Amtrak train next to a bunch of Mennonites, so I felt really weird the entire time. But, um, like on a laptop? Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And they were... I mean, you know, social distancing rules, but it was... They could easily see what I was watching, and there was some weird shit. Yeah. Um, I was I was getting the side eye from Uncle Jebediah during the uh the end sequence <laughs> so where the King naked King. lady was getting fed yeah. to the monster. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh it's a very squishy wet movie.
1: Yeah, the thing about this um, movie is uh, more so, I mean, obviously Gordon is is best known for his Lovecraft adaptations uh with uh Dennis Polly uh writing pretty much all of the Lovecraft stuff, I believe, but this to me is as much as it's a very flawed film, uh, namely due to budgetary reasons, but uh, it is, this gets the spirit of Lovecraft to I me mean, more than maybe any movie I've ever seen, honestly. Like, this is a quintessentially <laughs> Lovecraftian movie. And the atmosphere is spot on, and it's a, it's really a fantastic adaptation of Shadow of Rin's Mouth, which is a, a top notch Lovecraft story. And. Ah, man. I really like this thing. I I just wish, (laughs) again, I I wish that the acting was a little stronger, and I wish that he had the money to realize some of the set pieces he tried to pull off and failed. And also, I wish that the ending was slightly different, too, because... The fact that they just decided to throw Dagon in there is, is really antithetical to source yeah. material.
3: Why do, why do we see the... We don't need to see him. It seems kind of like a real...
1: It seems like a
0: real
3: Night of the Beast or whatever kind of moment. Uh, you know, like the Jacques Tourneur film. Um, just... It, we don't need to see the monster. It, it's completely mm-hmm. unnecessary. And we certainly don't need to see it if you can't afford to animate it. That's <laughs> really, really unnecessary. But yeah, I mean, the, the the pitch of the film is great in terms of that, you know, it's, it's a guy just becoming, who feels trouble with his life. And yeah, it's like this cloying madness. And he starts to realize that maybe his madness is actually... Uh, a higher consciousness or purpose breaking through, and he resists, and he eventually succumbs. And there, yeah, like I think this is, I think mean, absolutely, if you wanted to explain to someone what Lovecraft is understood for, this film would be a really solid introduction mm-hmm. to that. Um, and it is, and it, it, we we complain about the special effects, but I gotta say, like, I mean, the practical effects in this, some of those are actually really very impressive. Like oh, they yeah. they knew where to put the money. And there's like a, a flaying scene that's really one of the most disgusting that you'll see anywhere. It's really pretty solid. um. But it, it just, it, again, it's got that kind of like, I don't know, like uh, just a modern thing. It's just a little sharp. It's just a little too clean looking. It's like they, they couldn't afford enough money to muddy it up fully. um. And then the CG cuts in. And, you know, when the CG hits, it really... When you're talking about like a film that's really kind of like an immersion and kind of a slow kind of enveloping of us in this kind of uh, dread and cloying madness, it it really hurts it when the film's visual design kind of like breaks its own mold and kind of brings you outside. and You sort of realize, oh, that's something someone made at a computer, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it, so it's just one of those films that's just frustrating. In that it's so good to me, like I mean, I gotta say, I think this is really close to top tier Stuart Gordon, but just um, yeah, it, it just has certain elements of production just drag it down, just really kind of, uh, you just gotta compensate a little mm-hmm. bit for it, and I just wish that viewers didn't have to compensate for it, you know, in, in another world, if it had another like you know another three or four million dollars on the budget, um. Or even
0: honestly, like if this movie was made ten years earlier or ten years later, totally different story. Oh, but yeah. it's just like believe- this is the most nineteen ninety nine special effects <laughs> you've ever seen. And, in your and life. I think
3: the originally the plan was—I mean, this originally I think was lined up with Crampton and Jeffrey Combs, and it was going to be made mm. after From Beyond. I think this is going to be like part of Should've the done that. trilogy, and that just, it just didn't happen. And I mean imagine that movie i think that could have been god incredible mm-hmm. oh
2: yeah absolutely i mean honestly instead, it could have been better than two of the, both of the prior films instead we got uh douche i am your father
1: yeah i i mean i think this is probably polly's uh best screenplay like i it, it probably would easily be the best of the three to my mind even though i i love from beyond um it's just Someone like Combs could sell this character so much better. Like mm-hmm. I, you don't feel any of that sort of seduction of this life and the and the pull it's having on him. This preordained destiny, this stuff he's been dreaming about, and and when he encounters it in life, he, this guy's just a fucking plank of wood.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Myros, <laughs> you got two choices. You can either like the movie or dislike the movie. <laughs> I love Boston. <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's. I mean, it, it really. It it was. This is this is tough for me because I I like this movie more than the first time I saw it years ago, and I want to absolutely love it. But there's just little things that that pull me away from it.
2: I, I think for me, what it's going to take. Uh, so, Jack, had you seen this before?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this several okay. times previously.
2: I think I think, um, and this is pretty common for me, but. Uh, as i discussed with roland but um even as my tastes have changed a lot in the last couple of years um i think some stuff like this that's a little that that's quite rough around the edges and is kind of swinging for the fences with a small budget i think it takes an orientation for me to like that period to okay this is what this is um and i know Mm -hmm. what to expect and Next time when I'm going in going, oh, I'm in the mood to watch Dagon or I'm in the mood to like check out Dagon again and see, uh, it, like I'm kind of ready for it. Um, I think I, I could see it being something that I definitely warm to, but, um, it's an abrasive first viewing.
1: Sure. Sure. I could see that. Uh, another thing is if you are inclined to, to get into Lovecraft at all, like I think familiarity with mm-hmm. Lovecraft's work and the tone he strives for really enriches the this particular text, because again, it, it it is damn close. It's spot on in tone to to what you're looking for in that sort of adaptation. And, and you seldom see that in films. And uh, I will say, as much as uh, I'm probably a little hard on the acting in this movie, uh, shout out <laughs> to uh, Francisco Rabal who plays uh, the homeless man Ezekiel. He is a standout, and he's also the one Absolutely. who gets played, but his performance is, is spectacular. Flayed, yeah. <clears throat> he does get played. choice
2: of words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he's great. He's he's really great.
1: I think he died. I, I think he's like credited as a uh, posthumously in this is, yeah, at the end of this. Yeah, song, yeah. There, really dedicated a, to him.
3: Which honestly is a little. I've got to admit, is a little jarring in the film because it, it's one of those films. I think in the finale should linger a little more on the film itself, but it immediately cuts to a commemorative panel for him you know, crediting him as a, a great guy, and which is lovely and, you know, very appropriate. But I feel like maybe they should have stuck that a little bit further into the credits rather than like, this man has succumbed to absolute madness and now lives with another race of elder gods under the sea. And also the actor was a nice guy. And it's kind of like, <laughs> maybe, you know, separate these two things. Let
0: us dwell a little yeah. bit on the uh, and he doing... died from pneumonia because he was wet for three <laughs> yeah, months straight so we, while filming. We hosed him down every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bulbous nose dying grandpa. Let's hit him with the water hose at 6am every Can day. Can you imagine what
3: the set smelled like on this thing? Because it is. like God, It's just like a foot terrible. of water on the ground for every scene of this film, practically. I, c-
0: I cannot even imagine. Yeah. Just oh, Disgusting. And the, and the makeup, too. Like These guys are in this this makeup where they, they have these like, fish man prosthetics, but Otherwise, they look like they're uh, the titular powder from the movie Powder, and <laughs> God, just to be in that like latex and it doesn't breathe and you're just wet the whole fucking time and God, everything had to stink like shit. I bet everyone was miserable. Yeah, another um,
3: got, fun time. Well, I think about it. Another thing I do like about this film as is, is kind of its its focus on like this town are isolated and it's, it's you know like the Wicker Man, you know, it's an example of like a town that kind of moves to its own rhythms. But what's very and I guess very kind of Lovecraftian about this is the idea that they've kind of they're not just like moving to their own rhythms, they're actively changing the course of human history to a sense. They've 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 removed all their Christian iconography and replaced it with something else, and they're it's transforming literally the kind of consciousness of the community and their physical forms. And I, I really you know, I think it's fascinating with the film Manages that, and I think it really does a great job of bringing all those elements out, and that's why you could say this film was so rich on those levels. And then on another level, it's just sort of like it kind of just looks like I mean, visually, there's not a huge amount of distinction between this and like fucking Thirteen Ghosts remake with just like shitty, just a little bit too clean kind of visuals, and I I don't know, it's it's just got a directive video kind of filter over top mm-hmm. of it. It's just unfortunate.
0: I feel like we need to do like just we'll do an episode where we we pick horror films from like 1997 to 2002 and just so we can Sean needs to understand the aesthetic just the complete (laughs) how many how many urban
3: legends movies are there
0: Um, I mean I know there's urban legend and urban legend 2 final cut wait what Hmm. time period did you say like 97 to 2002
2: Okay, because I was watching some like because when I watched Castle Freak, I was like going through ninety five, and there's definitely a few that I watched like, um, the anthology film uh, Crypt Tales from the Crypt was that is that what it is Tales from the Hood Tales from the <laughs> Hood and um, and uh, the Dickerson film that's not an anthology um, with uh, Jada Pinkett. Demon, Demon Knight, Night. oh Demon Knight, Demon, Demon Knight, Demon Knight. Yeah. but those those yep. both look pretty decent. Now nah, you're
0: gonna have to watch Bordello of Blood. We're gonna start with that, and then you're gonna watch Fear.com. That's a good one.
2: I think oh, Chris yeah.
3: Dickerson broke some of the. He's like not, not representative
2: of that. Kind yeah, of he yeah. Time. That film actually looks very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fear.com, starring yeah. uh, Jeffrey Combs and uh, also uh, Stephen Ray. <laughs>
3: Stephen, Ray, which which links in yeah, Stephen, you know, right.
1: where we're going. Interesting, Interesting. real good yeah, shit. I, before good we shit. move on, can I can I talk about briefly the one moment in the film that really sticks out to me is a, a spectacular twist on a sort of tired horror trope of people like not being able to find their keys or fumbling with a lock. Where this hotel room he's staying in mm-hmm. is someone has removed the lock from <laughs> from the door, and he has to like fumble while this pack of fish men are trying to uh, assault his hotel room and remove a lock yeah. from a separate door and attach it to the other door. It's just, it works incredibly oh, yeah. well.
3: It's really good. Jeffrey Cohen's going to with with Oh
1: though. Jesus. Imagine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Would have been better. Would have been better. Yeah. It's no, I, I love that, that whole scene. Cause it actually, it reminds me of, and, well, this predates it, but, uh, Resident Evil 4, like the opening of Resident Evil 4, where all the, the weird, like, cultist people are breaking into the house that you're inside of, that you're trapped in. It's really good shit. Um, I, I guess the last question before we move on, and this is just a yay or a nay, would you fuck the fish lady, Sean? Of course. Thank you, good answer. Myros? Oh, yeah. And Jack?
3: I mean, it would be impolite not to. Well,
0: I'm I telling mean, your wife except for you, yeah, except for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> she, That's right. Uh, Holly, this is Steve. I have some concerning I, I news. It a, looks like your husband wants to fuck a Cthulhu
3: I have kind of a feeling the Dagon people swing. I don't think they're locked down to
2: your know, buddy-durbing
1: uh, Well, they are, and, you and you know, it is yeah. an incestual relationship, so I guess that throws the going out yeah. the window.
2: Yeah, Holly, Holly like, might this. make exceptions.
1: Yeah,
3: like stepbrother, stepsister, or, you know, it's just like bringing in yes.
0: someone new try it out why not this is my polyamorous fish, fish sister so <laughs> you're into that you dig on too good to chart all of
3: the dating elements
0: <laughs> are you guys ready for our final movie mhm alright good here's the trailer academy award nominee greg kinnear
2: let's never do anything that what? makes us look like total <laughs> idiots stuck on you I'm sorry, wrong one <laughs> <laughs>
0: help me help you with what it's in my garage i thought you said you hit a guy yeah he's the guy Uh. Uh! to be fair i mean they they really sell the trailer for for sewer gordon stuck as a straight up comedy which it is pretty fucking funny uh but it's also pretty (laughs) dark so uh
2: (laughs) sean tell us about your experience with stuck uh Stuck is uh weird, um weird experience. Oh, yeah. I, I'm glad that <clears throat> we had it on the list. I think it's debatable as a horror film. Um <clears throat> I think it's maybe more of a thriller, but um uh you know, whatever. Uh I think that uh it's very odd uh performance of um or vino um, in Dreads, I think Savari. somebody, yeah, yeah, Mina Savari, no, <laughs> kid, no, the other one, <laughs> Mina Savari. <laughs> uh, very interesting um, entrance with Dreads on that one, um, and uh, the hip hop soundtrack. It just seems uh, like a very interesting step uh, in a different direction for Gordon. Um, but I think, and, and this is not Lovecraftian. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe. Um, There's just a mystery short story. (laughs) It's just kind of like like an urban thriller. Um, I ran
0: across the man on the road in my carriage and there he sat, stuck in the spokes.
2: I think Stephen Ray is kind of like the linchpin of this movie, his performance. Um, But uh, without getting into details, I think that uh, this really kind of shows um, some of the guts that Gordon had late in his career, um, that he was like when i say guts i mean like uh this is not an easy fi- like this i think that this film provokes its audience um or, and provokes its characters um like the, our protagonists are not easy characters and i think that that really what make that's what really makes this movie sing
0: yeah absolutely um yeah this is i don't know i, I i'm glad that i got to revisit this because I remember watching it when it first came out, and uh you know Myros and I had been on a like a, a probably a Stuart Gordon kick at the time, and I remember us talking about like well career trajectory, it's, go, it's going down. There's no way this could possibly be even remotely fucking good, right. and it turns out it's like no, this is probably the best thing he's made, and God knows how long. Like it's
2: yeah, it's if you're only half paying and attention it's funny to, and it's, to this type yeah. of movie, you're probably going to be like this sucks.
1: Well, you'd think like it would be a lifetime movie. It's a fucking straight up rip from the headlines movie, which seldom yeah uh, yields quality cinema.
3: Well, yeah, and it's it's strange how it. it well, I, I mean, for me, this film is. I, I think this is a great movie, and I, every time I watch it, it's it's kind of like it strikes me how Sean's is provocative certainly, but how kind of smart it is, and it's it's a film about you know an increasingly atomized America about kind of different people who are kind of put upon in different ways and basically have all been pitched against each other they all have reasons to stay out of each other's business which allows these terrible scenarios to unfold and um, mm-hmm. you know it, and it's kind of like I mean it's it's a pretty scathing account of American society basically uh, um, people kind of working their jobs and being too tired to take care of each other or take care of themselves and, and there's a, like an illegal immigrant family who stay out of you know who know something terrible is happening and stay out of it because they might get deported. You know, and it's all these just different kind of mechanisms within an American society to divide people. And but the film rolls as just this really black comedy and it's a really dark, dark, mean film. Um, mm-hmm. And it, what's interesting about it is that it's based on a true story about a woman who did actually uh, hit a guy and he was he got stuck wedged in her windshield and she just kind of left him there until he died um but i if I recall correctly, I believe in the original case, it was actually it was a black woman who hit a white guy <laughs> and then boasted about killing a white guy, and that was how she was caught um This oh. film flips it a little bit or or at least reintegrates race in a different way, in that we have it's a white woman mean a safari hitting a white man um but he's on the way he's down. He's a mid- yeah. He's he's a middle class former middle class project manager who's fallen on a hard times and is now homeless. She's a nurse practitioner. She's kind of like working long shifts, tired, um, is being, being exploited. Yeah, been dragged in by her boss to work extra shifts. So she's trying to party. You know, she's trying to enjoy herself as much as she can. And all the rap music, the plays I mean the opening of this film is hilarious, like the old yeah, film with is gangster rap playing over. It's such a, a bizarre <laughs> incongruity within Gordon's career and just I can film, ima- I wonder if
2: people watched were like at the cinema for this or something like that and like uh especially back then when like I guess the internet wasn't so ingrained in uh our lives, uh every step of our lives. Um going to the cinema and seeing this and seeing like directed by stuart gordon popping up I'd be like what <laughs> <laughs> i mean okay. possible.
3: It, it's, yeah. i
2: mean i think this makes it
3: we we didn't go over it, but like i mean just prior to this his film was edmund which was a david Mamet uh, adaptation and it's also i think a really a really funny film it's, and again a very cruel brutal film kind of about american race relations but as is ever with, like, Mamet, it's it's kind of never quite sure whether he's in on the joke of what makes his work <laughs> funny. It's never entirely <laughs> clear, and I think that's kind right. of, you know, Edmund definitely plays with that. This one has the same thing, kind of, of... We, we have black characters on the periphery who kind of inject this... um I like. I think one of the standout people in this actually is Russell Hornsby, who plays I mean, Savari's boyfriend, and he, uh, he's you know kind of a black guy and a drug dealer, and he's trying to present himself as a very kind of alpha male, tough guy. You know, I've killed people, um, and he's a clumsy kind of a fool, and he has no idea what's going on. And he's faced with this situation of this guy stuck in a windshield who's still alive and won't die, and he screws it up immensely. Um, and it actually turns out that the the kind of kind of diminutive white lady just has this vicious, brutal streak to her to protect what's hers, which is effectively just a promotion. And um, like that's all she wants is a shitty promotion at her shitty job. Um so yeah, I, I just think this film has so many just wickedly kind of funny points about uh, uh society just not working correctly kind of inject and then inject with just this awful like violence that Stuart Gordon excels so well at. I mean Stephen Reed stuck in the stuck in the the car windshield with this part of a windshield just wiper just driving. jammed into his abdomen yeah. that he has to escape from at some point. I mean it's gr- and the bones sticking out of his legs. Uh like it's just such a dog. Great eating at him. Film. Yeah, I like it's just such an intensely vicious kind of a film to come out Um, I mean, just, like, what, two years after Crash won the Academy Award for Best Picture, you know, with this kind of, like, candy-colored vision of, like, an America with a couple of problems, but we're working through it. And this just feels like just the absolute, just, like, asshole, psycho relative of that film that just, like, comes in and trashes the place and couldn't give a fuck. And it's sort of strange that Stuart Gordon is the guy to do that. He's not, you know, he looks like someone's grandpa. looks nice what is he doing
2: it does have a little bit of that like hyperlink quality to it in the beginning where you get these like two disparate stories and then they connect over this this very traumatic thing
3: and also interesting i suppose is that like the the homeless guy there there's you know one of the the kindest people in the entire film is a a fellow a homeless guy who sees their main character falling into that cycle and tries to help him and like one of the few people the cops are assholes, the nurses are kind of assholes, everyone just wants to kind of just take drugs, uh, unwind, or just get on with their lives. Um, yeah, it's it's just sort of a really surprisingly brutal late career film. And I mean, this is pretty late in. Was this his last feature? I don't recall um, if he made another. I think it was. Yeah, I think this was his final feature, and then he moved into Masters of Horror. And fear itself, and a couple of like TV productions and documentaries, maybe about movie or featuring in movies he he'd done, you know, kind of on his reputation. But this is maybe his last film as a director, and it's just, uh, man, it's it's a hell of a thing to to close
2: out on. Myro, what was your takeaway from this?
1: Oh, I I love this movie. I think it's. uh some of his strongest work, oddly enough. And again, it, it's it's not what I would anticipate considering the material. But um, I think he pulls great performances from the entire cast. And I think it, it is just a vicious look at human nature and uh, what capitalist society has, has done to America.
2: Yeah, it should have been like, if this came out like 10 years later, it would have been... Uh, like an uber driver
1: <laughs> she would have been an uber
2: driver oh yeah yeah yeah
1: and it probably would have had more of an audience too i, I feel like this is a little yeah uh, ahead of its curve for people yeah. having turned entirely on capitalism
2: as people who watch like all like most of the bloomhouse movies like that should be something that that somebody in that production house or like a, a script that they should definitely be looking for is that type of like gig economy rooted Or, like, people would eat that up because it's, like, marketable, but also, like, clearly ripe for comment. Like, like, stuber, but
0: scary, right? (laughs) Stuber? (laughs) uh,
2: Just, like, this type of thing that is, um, you know, because there's so many people with that job. And then the type of thing, the type of, uh, external horror, but also the internal horror of, like, losing your only thing that is making you money, um... And then having to also like compromise your ethics because of that. I mean, Sean, up. aren't
3: you describing collateral? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess, but a much low-fi version of that, like uh, and grimier version of, of collateral. None of this like talking about jazz in the nightclub uh, type stuff. Um, I, you know, I I really do
0: enjoy <clears throat> this movie, and I think it's it's streaming on Tubi, right? I think is yeah. that am I?
1: okay oh, so yeah so almost
0: all you...
3: of gordon's
1: work currently is actually yeah on shutter and Tubi's
3: tubi has got the exclusive
0: rights yeah so if you got shutter or if you don't just watch it on tubi but uh this is this is definitely one you should check out it's super underrated and i keep going back to jack Stuker. what, That's what, what they were holly yes yes yeah, yeah, stucker stucker yeah there you go i keep going back to what what holly said she, she cause didn't she call it? She called this like reverse Home Alone, right? That's yeah, <laughs> that's it, it's just one guy trying to get out of house. It is. It's reverse Home Alone for adults.
1: <laughs> well, it's just such a tightrope to like get out of this movie without uh, being like horribly preachy. Like it, it's got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that feel. I don't even remember off the top of my head with the stupid New York case with the the woman being raped in the the plaza that everyone cites constantly, but you, you get into that sort of territory where you feel like a director's yeah. uh, yelling at you for ignoring the horrors around you. And, and this doesn't get to that point. It, it I, It's very bleak, but uh, it manages to maintain an element of humanity. It, it's, it's an excellent film.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, gentlemen, I think it's roundabout time we wrap this up. So... Uh, Sean what are you putting over this week?
2: Oh gosh I was hoping you're not going to come to me but I well uh, first I mean <clears throat> I uh like I said I've been watching um some Jean-Roland uh films during this uh October and I wa- I think I think my favorite so far the, of the batch has been Lips of Blood um which is uh very has some iconic uh uh picture of of the two girls with masks the twin uh Casse- cassel castell uh women um with fangs pulling down their mask um but uh it's a it's a strange movie in that it has a male protagonist and that's often not uh where Roland um rolls his dice but <clears throat> um it is about a childhood memory that this guy is trying to capture, recapture, and it, uh, in that sense, just plays really well into uh, what his movies are about in terms of, like, just like this ephemeral dream-like stuff that we're trying to, like, wade through and figure something out and parse, and um, so it's it's a pretty personal
1: movie for him, and I, I thought it was uh, very good.
0: Lips nice. of Blood. Uh, lips of Blood, baby. Myros, what are you putting over this week?
1: You know, this month is the uh, classic Tetris World Championships. I-, I would recommend checking that out on uh, on the old Twitch. You know, it-, it sounds like a strange thing to recommend, especially as someone who doesn't really understand the appeal of the eSport. But the- Tetris is kind of a different animal because it's so universal and easy to understand. And there was a documentary made, you know, probably over a decade now called Ecstasy of Order, which was not anything spectacular, but it was uh, kind of in the wave of that post uh, King of Kong stuff where they were trying to get on that. But um, the whole conceit of this movie was about uh, these really two or three guys who were trying to max out uh, classic Nintendo Tetris and they couldn't do it by the end of the movie. No one had had done it at that point. And you, if you look at the scene now, it it kind of, it's, it's an interesting study of like human potential to me in some ways where, all of a sudden now, in the last three years, like a bunch of you know fifteen year olds uh, twelve year olds even they they get a hold of this game and now you can't even qualify for the thing without uh, smashing this this max out thing they they have like these casual monthly tournaments and you'll have to score three hundred thousand points over this this mythical score that. That these guys have been trying their entire lives to hit. It's just kind of crazy to think about, especially considering this is it's not a professional endeavor. Nobody makes money playing Tetris. It's just something these people do to prove they can and to get better at it. And it's, it's, hmm. it's I don't know. I, I find it really fascinating. I, I would recommend checking out uh, this World Championship on uh, Twitch because it's a drastically changing uh, scene and, and kind of interesting to see.
0: All right.
3: Uh... Jack, what are you putting over? I'm going to put over, uh, I'm going to stick with Stuart Gordon, actually, because um, the film, I, for some reason, despite being a long-time Stuart Gordon fan, I'd never tracked down space truckers before, and I really don't know why, and I'm <laughs> kicking myself now, because I watched it, and it is a blast.
2: It's, this guy can't shut up about space truckers.
3: It's <laughs> great. It's just truckers in space. It's Dennis Hopper <laughs> and Debbie Mazar. And Charles Dance with a fucking Ripcord dick. And they just... It's goofy, and it's like 90s primary colors, blockiness. It's just... Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. So I fully don't... You know, don't listen to this whole thing about it losing money and all that stuff. Forget about all of that. It, it just wasn't appreciated in its time. Um, it's actually a really great, fun movie. It was a huge financial flop. It's probably why Dagon never got the money it needed uh very sad but uh yeah no check it out it is i i think just a really fun blast of a movie and really terribly underappreciated honestly so yeah give that a shot why not it's not horror. it's got some really weird shit
0: in it but you know go with it i'm I'm excited for that uh that what is that ripcord dick that sounds fun oh yeah (laughs) only the best all right only the best baby uh, I'm going to do something that is usually frowned upon. You're not supposed to put yourself over, but uh, here I am. I'm going to do it. Dis- Discourse from the Big Chair is coming back, and yeah, yeah, yeah. that is, yeah, that's right. All the Tears for Fears heads are, are cheering, all-, all 12 of them. Uh, so a few years back, Steve Coleman is-, is on various Optimism Vaccine podcasts. He is a huge Tears for Fears fan. I had never really given the band the time of day, and this was, God, it must have been like five years ago at this point. So we went through, the, and we did this podcast series where we went through each album, and I was listening to it for the first time, and he was like a super fan, and he got to talk about the history of the band and everything. Turned out really great. Uh, we even we caught him live a couple of times, did some shows from that, and it was all supposed to lead up to the release of a new album that still hasn't come out yet, so how about that? But, that being said, uh, there's a brand new box set release of uh, Seeds of Love that just came out, nice. uh, which... I believe, uh, most most noteworthy for getting a lower score than uh, a Linkin Park re-release uh, via Pitchfork. So that was great. <laughs> Love that. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to do a new episode. We're going to record that this week. So look for that. It'll be on your, your Optimism Vaccine feed. and uh, Yeah, something to look forward to. I, again, there's probably like three people who are super fu- fucking hype right now, but we're here for you guys.
2: Steve, Pitchfork is run by like uh, vloggers now or like um, like Zoomers, so... Uh it's not really uh, See I don't Tears think that's fair crowd. because it's
0: not a Tears for Fears crowd but it's certainly not a fucking lincoln Park crowd. When did <laughs> Hybrid Theory come out? 2001? That's when I was like in high school. I was like a freshman in high school.
3: Did, did Tears sophomore. for Fears ever teamed up with Jay-Z to, you know, to true. radically blend rock and rap in a way never heard before? And
2: to change cinema uh, forever?
3: That's true. Did Tears for Fears ever do like an anime music video? <laughs>
0: No, but uh, there's probably a version of Woman in Chains with DMX yelling in the background. So look for that. <laughs> Those are two things that go really, really well together. I feel like
1: once that guy died, everyone was like, we got to critically reevaluate Linkin Park. It's like, no, we really fucking don't, people. No,
0: <laughs> we do not. Absolutely not. Absolutely fucking not. That's why the worst musicians, one, their bands need to never break up, two, they need to live forever because that's how you can guarantee they, they will never be critically reassessed. So, uh, yeah, on that note, (laughs) if you listen to this podcast right now, do us a big favor. There is a link in the description, and that link will take you to our iTunes page. Please, if you have not yet done it, give us a five star written review. Really, really helps out with our iTunes algorithm thingy. Basically, more people will be able to find us, more people that can find us, uh, more stuff we can do for you guys, and everybody wins, really. Also, there is a link to our Patreon in the description to this podcast. If you are feeling like a gracious soul in these difficult times, why not give us a dollar or two? It'd be Great. It'd be really nice. And for just a couple bucks, you can get access to the uh, Optimism Vaccine special Patreon feed that's got uh, writing from all the Optimism Vaccine contributors. It's got special podcast episodes, all kinds of shit. So uh, we got more coming. Oh, yeah. We
1: are launching a uh, – we're launching – Sean and I are going to launch a special uh, House themed uh, Patreon exclusive pod as well starting uh, probably the end of the there month there we
0: go hey see it's coming it's coming baby
2: truth or it's gonna be truth or dare every episode we're gonna rewatch truth or dare <laughs> I fucking wish
0: <laughs> yeah I know seriously that sounds fucking great sign me up for that uh, yeah so look forward to that exclusive series and it only costs a couple bucks come on you got a couple dollars or maybe you don't in which case don't fucking worry about it but if you do have a few dollars yeah, you know, help us out here be great uh, other than that if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, at OptimismVaccine on Twitter, uh, or you can email us, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. Adam Myros is standing by. He's hitting refresh on the old inbox just waiting for you, waiting for that email. Please send it to him. He's a lonely guy. Uh, yeah, so I guess that pretty much wraps things up. Sean, this is the end of uh, Sean's October month of horror, so I'm going to let you have the last word.
2: Thanks again, guys. I'm going to start planning for next year inspiring. Thanks, Sean.
0: I fucking die!